0: well hello hello and what is up and welcome on into the glenn merzer show happy to have you along and if you have not yet done it make sure that you subscribe to this program you can do it wherever you get podcasts or just hop on over to realmen eplants.com click on the support button take the 30-day challenge read the blogs visit the glenn merzer youtube channel as well as the other youtube channels that we have and find us all over social media i am at RMEP Rich and i am happy to go ahead and introduce an author a screenwriter a playwright a comedian and of course now a podcast host one mr glenn merzer hello glenn
1: hello rich nice to see you again and we've got a very special guest today we have robert cheek who is One of the strongest vegans, in fact, one of the strongest people in the free world. Uh, Let me give you his intro here. Robert grew up on a farm in Corvallis, Oregon, where he adopted a vegan lifestyle in 1995 at the age of 15, when he weighed just 120 pounds. Today, he's the author of the books Vegan Bodybuilding and Fitness, Shred It, which I have right here, and it's a fantastic book full of exercise advice, fitness advice, and nutritional advice and recipes, and I have bulked up just in the few days since I've read it. Um, He's also the author of Plant-Based Muscle and the New York Times bestseller, The Plant-Based Athlete. He's often referred to as the godfather of vegan bodybuilding. He's grown in the industry from infancy in 2002 to where it is today. As a two-time natural bodybuilding champion, Robert is considered one of Veg News Magazine's most influential vegan athletes. That's a list that I'm on the, um, you know, the I'm right at the bottom of that list, uh, he, he tours around the world sharing his story of transformation from a skinny farm kid to champion vegan bodybuilder. He's the founder and president of Vegan Bodybuilding and Fitness, maintains the popular website veganbodybuilding.com. He's a regular contributor to Vegan Fitness, No Meat Athlete, Forks Over Knives, and vegan strong he's a multi-sport athlete entrepreneur and has followed a plant-based diet for more than 26 years he lives in colorado with his wife and two rescued chihuahuas <laughs> first question robert are those chihuahuas strong and are they on a plant thank you glenn
2: diet? and thank you rich and absolutely freaking lutely uh, absolutely. They, they both are on a plant based diet. Benny is 17 years old, has followed a plant based diet for more than a wow. decade. Ellie is seven and a half. She shares a birthday with me. We just kind of made that up because we have a strong connection. She's a rescue. We don't know when her real birthday is, but we say it's the same day as mine. And she's followed a plant based diet for five and a half years, which is as long as we have had her. Uh, they're both doing very, very well. They're both strong. And actually, I'll have to update my bio because we did a little DNA test and Benny is actually a terrier, not a chihuahua, though he looks like one. <laughs> so he's wow. he's about 12 or 13 pounds. We always thought he was a chihuahua, but uh, it turns out he's actually a, a terrier. But Ellie is undoubtedly a chihuahua.
1: Well, the good thing it didn't turn out he was a German Shepherd because <laughs> yeah, that would have been a yeah, you know, mastiff or
2: something like that. Uh, it would have been a pretty, pretty uh, big blunder yeah. and confusion on my end.
1: Now, disclosure here: Robert and I met this past weekend, where we were both speakers at something called the Michiana Veg Fest, and frankly, Robert lucked out because I had a plan, and my plan was that. At the end of the event, I was going to challenge him to an arm wrestle. And I figured this would be a good career move for me because if I could take Robert in an arm wrestle, I was going to put like at least $100 on it, maybe more, whatever he would go for. And I figured if I could take him in an arm wrestle, that will really catapult my career, you know, for for whooping Robert Cheek in an arm wrestle. But then... He lucked out because at the last possible minute, I remembered I had a I have a hernia, <laughs> so I I couldn't do it, so I backed out. Very lucky for yeah, you. Well, Ryan.
2: I appreciate that. I would have um, been embarrassed in front of the crowd at Michiana Bed Fest, and I probably would yeah. not have been invited back. Yeah. And uh, for letting them yeah. down, and letting the spectators down, and the, all the people who who bought my book down. Uh, and so, thank you for sparing me that. Yeah. I appreciate that, Glenn.
1: Well, uh, you're just lucky about that hernia. Um, So tell us your story. What made you go vegan at 15? A lot of skinny 15-year-old kids would try to bulk up on meat. Uh, What made you think of going vegan? I,
2: I grew up on a farm out there in Corvallis, Oregon, as you mentioned. I raised animals. I raised dairy cows. I raised chickens, rabbits, guinea pigs. These are all animals that I showed in the county fair. And if I was talented enough good enough I would take them to state fair and then at the end of the uh, the end of the season you know really at the end of the year end of the summer there we would uh, we would sell them at the auction and it was something that as i was 11 12 13 14 years old i was encouraged by my by my parents you know who were farmers and grew up in 4h and are very uh, very much um, connected to that lifestyle to you know, go there enthusiastically and even like use motions like this with my hands to get the price up, make more money, because that was something that we, that we did. It was, we, we would, I would go sell maybe four chickens at a time or go sell dairy calf that I had spent uh, time working with and, and who had a first name and who became a pet and who followed me around and who trusted me. And then I, I broke that trust to go uh-huh. sell my animal friends, my pets to be turned into someone's meal. And so, you know, that, that started to connect with me when my older sister, Tanya, organized this animal rights week at our high school. I didn't know a whole lot about it. She was vegan. I wasn't really interested. Uh, but I thought out of respect for my older sister, I would go and attend this uh, this animal rights week. And I'd already been, like I said, maybe a little bit uncomfortable uh, selling my, my pets uh, in the auction to be turned into food. And then day one, December 8th, 1995. I even have the little videotapes, you know, from that time with the camcorder and and all of that from back in the mid 90s, uh, documenting these conversations. I had a very much more high pitched uh, teenage voice back then, and I I watched videos of factory farming and animal testing, and I listened to speakers and I talked with other people, my peers, my fellow students. I read literature. M- much of the stuff was in black and white. Literature was in black and white. Maybe even some of the the farm uh, factory farming footage and vivisection, animal testing footage was in black and white. But these were these yeah. were things that changed uh-huh. uh, my life forever. It, it, they resonated with me, and I decided that you know what, from this moment on, I I don't want my behavior, my actions, my decisions, my choices, my my food choices, my clothing choices, my entertainment choices. I don't want these to negatively, to adversely affect animals if I don't have to, if there's another way to do it. But the problem was, Glenn, I was a five sport athlete, even as a sophomore in high school, 15 years old. I was a runner.
1: What would the five let me interrupt you? What would the five I was a runner,
2: a basketball player, a soccer player, a wrestler and then I was involved in track and field, and I I won the the Dan O'Brien Award. I don't know if you remember Dan O'Brien, the decathlon, the great in the 1990s, the, all the commercials, Dan or Dave, Dan or Dave. Uh-huh. They were the uh, you know the 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 big decathlon athletes for the U.S. Olympic track and field team, because I did every single event in track and field except for uh, three or four, including. Um, uh, you know, I did shot. I mean, I was a little guy, but I did shot put. I did discus. I threw javelin. I... You
1: did shot put at 120 yeah, little, pounds. You know,
2: yeah, I put on a little bit of weight after that, you know, my my junior and senior year. But yeah, I was uh-huh. a small guy throwing shot put and discus and javelin. The only uh-huh. ones I didn't do, I didn't do pole vault, And um, there were maybe a couple of other running events that I didn't do, but I did the 3000, the 1500, the 800, Uh the 400, the 200, the 100, the long jump. I don't think I did triple jump, but, uh, you know, so I was very, very athletic and I wondered, you know, can I do this without animal protein? Is this really sustainable? This is before the internet. This is before Uh it it was well known that a vegan lifestyle or plant-based diet could sustain an active lifestyle. They just, I'd never heard of the Esselstins, even though they'd been doing their thing since 1984. I just got exposed to uh, the work by John Robbins, uh, Diet for New America. I read Harvey Diamond's book, Fit for Life. I mean, this is old school stuff. I, I learned of this guy Howard Lyman, who became a hero of mine. You know, like a, a big, you know, big time hero, and got a chance to see him on tour. And he
1: wrote a book called sure, Mad
2: Cowboy, he sure didn't did. he? He sure did. You know what he used to do? Yeah, he used to see me on tour. And he'd, he'd be wearing his sweatshirt that said vegan, and he would blow into his thumb and puff his sleeves up like he would blow into his thumb and it would blow, you know, <laughs> his body up like a bodybuilder. He would he would kind of do those pranks when he would see me. Uh, great guy. And, and so you know, I, I found a few role models in John Robbins, in um, Harvey Diamond, and Howard Lyman, in Ingrid Newkirk, and in, in people who were doing this. But aside from John Robbins, none of them were very athletic you know uh, John I actually did arm wrestle mm. and uh, he was quite strong yeah <laughs> oh, did you was, uh,
1: how did uh, I, I I who won
2: it was at the two, I believe it was the 2007 Portland Veg Fest. so 15 years ago I beat him but people okay. filmed it took you know there weren't smartphones back then I don't I don't think but you know the cameras digital cameras mm-hmm. people used and took pictures and uh, it, but he was hard to beat I I I did win but he was hard to beat he's very strong so you All know right that's how I got started. I got into this whole thing for animal rights. And then I questioned whether I could actually put on muscle and and be like He-Man and captain planet and the pro wrestlers that I idolized. And then I had to put that to the test. And of course, you know, you know, the rest of the story. Um, I'm just a little bit under 200 pounds now, but I peaked at 220 pounds about a year ago uh, during, during this pandemic period, a full 100 pounds up from when I started, on a, a plant-based diet and vegan lifestyle showing unequivocally that yes, you can build muscle on a plant-based diet.
1: Yeah. So it turns out that what causes muscle is not in fact. <laughs> no, <people>. no. <laughs> what
2: what, what that... causes one to build muscle is doing some sort of resistance training, you know, often preferably exactly. weight training, resistance, weight training. Cause that, that creates uh, tears, micro tears and muscle fibers damage to muscle tissue. And then you consume, uh, calories, which are, you know, you, you get the, um, amino acids, the building blocks of proteins so you get protein, carbohydrates, fats, and then, and then everything else as well. Um, uh, all the things, antioxidants, fiber, phytonutrients that, that help you build, repair and recover. And then you have to consume a calorie surplus. You've got to basically eat more calories than you're expending right. through, through your, your energy expenditure throughout the day. And that's how you put yourself in a position to build mass. Something that I did as a bodybuilder for, for 10 years.
1: And, and so when bodybuilders and other athletes talk about how many, how many grams of protein should they eat? Are they talking about something that's sensible or should they really be talking about how many calories? Yeah. You know,
2: a little bit of both Glenn. Um, and there's a bunch of research and data to, uh, to represent that and, and back that up that the average person, just the average everyday person who's not, Going to the gym many days a week and not, or, or doing body weight exercises that are strenuous and you know pull ups and push ups and dips and and all these heavy you know body weight movements like pulling your own body weight up in a pull up, you know, that that mm-hmm. average person probably needs to eat about 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. It ends up being, as you know, 50 or 50 or 60 grams of protein a day for most women and maybe. 60 or 70 grams of protein a day for most men. It's not that much. It's easy to reach as long as you reach your calorie intake needs, like your real calorie intake needs based on your, your gender, age, height, weight, activity level, these, these factors. And then the calories uh, themselves are important, of course, to, to be in that surplus if you want right. to put on muscle and size. And that, there's a couple of ways to approach that. Uh, as I'm sure most people can imagine, you can just eat calories for the sake of eating calories and, or you could have a mindfulness approach about it and focus on, let's say healthy whole foods as much as possible. And you might have completely different outcomes from eating calories coming from cake and pastries and donuts and candy and soda and chocolate and um, white refined bread and, you know, deep fried food, things like that versus calories coming from like, like soybeans and garbanzo beans and lentils and brown rice and oats and yams and sweet potatoes and broccoli and kale and blueberries and bananas. And okay, there's a complete Hmm. difference there as far as your nutrient intake, your amino acid consumption, your antioxidant consumption, fiber consumption and what your body will utilize in order to repair, rebuild, and grow. Uh, not only that, but obviously keep you mm-hmm. in a very healthy state compared to a, a state of, of, of maybe missing out, being uh, uh, overfed and undernourished, which unfortunately many people in our population here in America uh, fall into that category.
1: Okay. Now, since you came into this really from an animal rights yeah. viewpoint... You, you had this shock of how terrible it is, how the way we treat animals and animal agriculture, and you decided, if I can do what I want to do with my life without contributing to that, that's what I want to do as an athlete. Um, but you didn't come to it initially from the point of view that it's definitely better for your health. Yeah you were just trying to avoid the unnecessary killing of animals was there a point and tell us about it if there was when you realized no not only can i achieve what i want to achieve athletically without killing animals but in fact it turns out this is better yeah did did you Get to come to the conclusion that in fact being a plant-based athlete is better than being a meat-based. Yeah, I athlete. did,
2: Glenn, and it took me a long time because we all have this confirmation bias. We all have this personal bias uh, toward our own agenda, whether we want to admit it or, or not. Uh, we all have it. Um, our mm-hmm. preferences, our mm-hmm. our the, the people that we like, the foods that we like, the hobbies that we enjoy, entertainment we do or don't like. Um, and a value system that we subscribe to, that we are often very committed to, our political beliefs, our, our, strong, uh, our, our, st- our strong, unwavering support of certain sports teams, of musicians, of uh, ways of viewing the world. And, uh, and when it comes to something like animal rights, environmentalism, health, we hold very strong viewpoints, sometimes that we're, uh, we're completely unwavering and we can't, can't really be convinced otherwise. Uh, I'm, I'm sure many of us, you know, here on this panel would, uh, would agree that it, it would take uh, tremendous effort to convince us that a, a carnivore lifestyle is just the absolute greatest thing. Like, that's the real approach. You know, we are very much like lions. We're, we are essentially lions, um, the way that we can rip apart animals and, and consume all their raw, you know, muscle tissue, tendons, veins, blood, all that. Uh, it would take quite a bit of convincing for us to switch from our worldview of of eating plants and sparing animals and 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 giving them consideration of living lives free of fear, pain, and suffering to then just go and try to go take down uh, antelope and elk with our with our our bare hands and our fierce fierce uh, teeth and strong jaws. So that being said, Glenn, I I was under no illusion that. A plant-based diet was any better. In fact, I was told that it was worse uh, for my health, but I didn't care. Uh, my father's an animal scientist, uh, professor at Oregon State University, uh, professor emeritus, current, you know, retired now, wrote many books, uh, almost as many as you. I think he wrote around a dozen <laughs> books or so uh, about raising animals uh-huh. for food. So he became a world expert in that. And he was very concerned for my health. Um, the idea was when I became vegan that, Robert, I understand your your interest in compassion towards animals but this just isn't good for your health and and you should you know heed this warning like you should really take this seriously and we all know you know fast forward 25 years later uh so many people come to a plant-based diet for their health but initially glenn and this i think this is, is important and it'll answer your question directly i i didn't i didn't really believe that it was better and in fact uh, maybe I missed out on some early uh, exposure in the newspaper. Uh, I had the Wall Street Journal call because there was there were uh, a number of athletes uh, becoming plant based around 2007. I think it was. So I'd been vegan for 12 years at mm-hmm. this point, if I'm doing the math right. And there was this football player you might remember this, uh, Tony Gonzalez, who adopted a plant based diet. Dr. T. Colin yeah. Campbell worked with him with that. And so I, I was mm-hmm. one of the original vegan athletes that anybody knew about along with Brendan Brazier. So Brendan and I were being called by the wall street journal and they, and they were asking about uh, the benefits, the health benefits of a plant-based diet.
1: Right. And I, I remember around that time, the wall street journal called me also, uh, but that was just about whether I'd get a subscription. (laughs) So that was,
2: (laughs) we were both both on their radar for different reasons. uh, So what happened was, I, I did this interview and I I couldn't say with confidence that a plant-based diet was better. I, I described my ethical position of not wanting to contribute to unnecessary animal suffering. And I was completely left out of the article. And you might remember this 2007, massive cover story. I don't know if it was cover of the whole paper or cover of the sports section, but it was called something like the 247 pound vegan. And it was an entire... Massive article about Tony Gonzalez and his uh, plant-based diet in the NFL, which unfortunately didn't 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 last so long uh-huh. um, for a variety of reasons. It lasted about a month, and then he you know he was losing too much weight. He didn't I don't think he understood the calorie uh-huh. density uh, aspect of it and needing to uh, consume the same amount of calories he was consuming before in order to maintain. And he was the best tight end in the history of the NFL um, at the time, and maybe still uh, top one or two in history. In the nfl and so with many millions of dollars in his contract their nutrition team and i talked to dr t colin campbell about this uh they were they were very concerned that he was losing too much weight and basically (laughs) required him to start eating animals again and so it wasn't until just a few years later glenn when i got the call uh to come join forks over knives and and work with their team to launch that film that was the first time Uh I, I really thought about a plant based diet being better than an animal based diet going head to head. I had to learn. I had to learn. Uh, y- you know, I had just been doing this lifestyle for 10 or 15 years, but it always came from this ethical perspective. And Even though I worked for a nutrition company and I was starting to learn more about plant based nutrition and taking a few classes here and there and learning and, and from Brendan Brazier and, and a few others it really was that experience with forks over knives and going on tour. I mean, imagine how cool that was for me. Like I went on tour with Dr. Campbell and Esselstyn and did film screenings around the country and throughout North America and Canada as well. And that's when it clicked. And then I took Dr. T. Kong Campbell's plant-based nutrition course through Cornell university. And that changed my, my life Uh again, changed my life forever. And that's when I stopped the consumption of all sports supplements a full decade ago because I was just relying on so many of those uh-huh. um, thinking that's, I, you know, 300 grams of protein a day, protein drinks all day long. And then I, I started to look at the holistic approach of consuming food in its whole state, which now is one of the things that I talk about and have for the last 10 years. The benefits, as I've already mentioned today, of all of those things that come with it. The, the amino acids, the vitamins, the minerals, the antioxidants, the fiber, the nitric oxide, the water, the, the whole state of the food. And and that's when I started to realize that, okay, this is, as Dr. Michael Greger says, uh, this should be the default diet until proven otherwise. This is the one exactly. that prevents exactly. the most diseases. This is one that helps uh, helps recover from some of those, reverse some of those diseases this is what helps weight management more than any any other diet out there, based on the calorie. And,
1: and recover yeah, from exactly. injury. That's a
2: huge part of my new book, The Plant Based Athlete. That's yeah. a huge part of it is that is the recovery aspect, preventing and recovering from injuries, uh, recovering mm-hmm. from strenuous workouts, repairing damaged muscle tissue, reducing inflammation. Like, that's when it started to come together. Mm-hmm. Once I had a little bit more formal education, and it started with forks over knives.
1: Well, thanks to the work you've done, Robert, and the work of Rich Roll and Brendan Brazier, the young athletes coming up now know this, or or at least it's easier for them to learn this lesson that it took you some years to learn. Rich's son, Joey, is a fantastic college baseball player, and we are hoping he gets drafted into uh, the major league system. Rich tell robert about your son's recovery on. yeah you know diet. a
0: couple things you actually brought up too about bulking up and my son was stuck at about 165 pounds for a couple of years and so we were going that route before and this was before I've, I've been plant-based now for three years um we were going okay you gotta eat more steaks and protein powder and whey protein and all this we we're pushing it on him and he couldn't gain any weight and he was always feeling sick he had uh, all kinds of acne problems stuff like that switch to a plant-based diet not only did all that stuff clear up, but now he felt so much better. He was able to consume so many more calories throughout the day. All of a sudden now he's 225 pounds. Um, and it was, I mean, and and through a lot of hard work as well and and working with a, a personal trainer. Um, and you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's electric what, what's happened to him, but he also ruptured his PCL back in, in February. And, you know, they, they put a brace on him, they were considering surgery, but there's another way to go about it. And that's really to blast your quads and and build up all the muscle around it. And then you don't need the PCL. And that's what he's done. And he's done it on a, on a plant-based diet. And it's amazing because he just had his scout day, Glenn. And we, we had talked about that a little bit. He was running.
2: He uh-huh, was running faster
0: than before the PCL injury. And, uh, wow. I mean, obviously yeah. it's been through a ton of training as well, but but he really contributes a lot of it or attributes a lot of it to to the plant-based diet um, and, and doing that. But but the effect that it's had on him and his ability to be able to not only gain weight and gain muscle, but do it in a good way, um, you know, where, where he's felt great about it, it it's, it's just absolutely incredible. And I don't think a lot of people understand – you know, like like what you're talking about, that it can be done that way, um, that it, it's not just a fad. It's not just a, a, a freaky thing. It, not only can you get by on a plant based diet, you could thrive on a plant based diet. In fact, you do thrive on, on a plant based diet. And I don't think that's a message that a lot of people get.
2: Yeah, well, I'm really glad to hear that about about your son. And I, of course, I wish him all the best in, in his pursuit for higher level baseball. Uh, Do you say he's a pitcher? Did I catch that? Well, a pitcher yeah. Or- so
0: he's he's actually an outfielder, but he does pitch as well. So okay. um, he's a 373 lifetime college hitter. Um, and then, by the wow. way, um, yeah, he could throw the ball 92 miles off the mound, and um, he's left-handed and six foot four and two twenty-five. Like I said, now and runs like the wind and can hit the ball a country mile. And so, a lot of baseball <laughs> teams are interested in my son as well. They should be.
2: Yeah, the future is bright. And I'm I'm glad yeah, you I'm glad you shared that story, Rich, because you know, I had the opportunity to interview many of the best plant-based athletes in the entire world uh, in my latest book, The Plant-Based Athlete. I'm talking I'm talking about a dozen Olympic athletes, Olympic gold medalists, world champions, Guinness world record holders, professional athletes in all types of sports, some who some people who have been vegan since birth, which then takes out that whole, you know, like uh, oh, you know, you built you built most of your strength and muscle on on animals, then you just adopted this diet <laughs> the last six months or whatever. And again, nothing wrong with that approach either. In fact, we highlighted that approach in the book too, because there are people that like, like Chris Paul on the Phoenix Suns, uh, NBA basketball player who had a complete resurgence of his career. He wasn't even an all-star anymore. He was washed up. He was, you know, people said he was, you know, career was on the you know, downward swing and he was on his way out and he adopts a plant-based diet. His recovery goes through the roof. Not only does he become an all-star again, every single cent, every single season since he, he throws down a two hand dunk and he's my height, six foot even I've got photo with him side by side, you know, we're the same height and you know, in his late thirties, he drops, drops this hammer dunk in the all-star game, two hands. from a lob from Russell Westbrook. And it was my favorite moment. And, and he's, and <laughs> you know, took his team to the NBA finals and, and getting an MVP votes. And so there there are people like that who've, who've been on a plant-based diet for a few years, completely changed the trajectory of their athletic career. And there's others. And I'm, I'm really proud to say it who have been vegan since birth and made it all the way to the Olympic games and won medals who've been vegan since birth and made it all the way to the highest level of bodybuilding that you can get to in the IFBB professional circuit. Um, uh, people who have made it to the world championship level in their in their sport, uh, completely vegan since birth, since, you know, their their parents were vegan before they were born and raised them that way. And so now we're seeing, like your son, Rich, we're seeing so many plant-based athletes. I would have to, I would have to guess. They're in the hundreds of thousands now. I mean, you look at, uh, you know, many, of course, are not well known. They're just people who are in high school and college and, or recreational athletes. They're all over the globe. I mean, you look at social media communities, they're, they're you know, by the tens of thousands in, in, in individual communities. You know, I even have entire, you know, Facebook pages of, of, of 40,000, 50,000 plant-based athletes. So that's just in one little community of bodybuilders. And so they've, they've got to be hundreds of thousands worldwide and it's starting to catch on and I, and I, and I love seeing it knowing that you know 25 years ago it wasn't you know very universally accepted and now it's you got NFL quarterbacks you know NBA all-stars um yeah yeah Justin
0: Fields looked pretty darn good the other night and uh, and he's all vegan so I was, yeah
2: I was <laughs> napping after uh, my flight home on Monday on 2 hours of sleep <laughs> after my uh my, my trip to Michiana VegFest there with Glenn. So I missed it, but I heard he played well.
0: He did. And,
2: um, and then Andreas Voita, who's an Austrian Olympic runner in our book, just set his 47th national record by winning the half marathon in Austria. I and mean, he's, you know, been on a plant-based diet for years. So it just, it just keeps continuing. And maybe your son, Rich is the next person we we highlight and start writing about and talking about. And it's, it's exciting to see.
1: Now we have more and more plant-based physicians, Robert. How about plant-based sports trainers? Are we getting a lot of them well, into this? That is a great
2: question and one that I really I really don't know. I know there's a ton, a ton of, of vegan coaches. Uh, almost all of my friends are, uh, it seems like these days, are online vegan trainers. But you know they're doing online programs. um they are certified personal trainers and they're doing their online coaching. But as far as like team trainers for sports, you know, for whether it's high school or college or recreational teams or professional teams, I really don't know. I heard that, um, that the Los Angeles Clippers were uh, very interested uh, because D Brown, who, you know, won the the slam dunk contest back in like 93 or something played for the Celtics. He's on their staff and he's dairy free or lactose intolerant or, you know, completely dairy free. And, pushing the vegan thing a little bit. Um, I heard they were interested and Dotsie Bausch from switch for good, a, a Olympic athlete herself, Olympic silver medalist, and, and very hardcore uh, vegan and dedicated activist was trying to do some work with them. You know, that's a high level team, Los Angeles Clippers and the NBA and try to get them, uh, right. try to get uh, her and me and a few others to go speak to them that hasn't uh, materialized yet. So I really don't know aside from, and the reason I say that is because all my friends who are online uh, trainers and coaches—they're mostly training other vegan people, right? They're mostly training other uh-huh. vegans who want to build their uh-huh. bodies, and nothing wrong with that, of course. But as far as what kind of influence the the you know the athletic trainers are having on teams on a national or global level, I really don't know, and that's something I should I should look into because I am curious uh, what that looks like, um, and if there are vegan. Tra-
1: now, that would be a great movie, wouldn't it? A, a vegan fit trainer, you know, starts working with a last place baseball team and brings them the pennant to yeah, the World yeah, Series. Yeah,
2: it'd be like the, like the Miracle on Ice, um, you know, but, but vegan version. Yeah. And, and and the heroes and, and the coach yeah. speech or the, the trainers, you know, uh, powerful speech about uh, reco- you know, recovering and reducing inflammation and, and eating the right types of foods to go out there and have more energy than your opponent recover faster and, and not, and not let yeah. it go to seven games and win it before that. Yeah. That, that could be really good. And yeah. I have no doubt. That's going to happen just as there's more and more plant-based physicians now who are not just treating vegans and plant-based patients. They're impacting a whole variety of right. people and they're vegan teachers and vegan pilots and vegan truck drivers. And it's just something that with 75 million people worldwide who identify as vegans and which I, I have no doubt will be north of hundred million in the cup, in the next couple of years, we're going to have right. vegan trainers who are doing like, as you described, like, like transforming the lives of athletes on on the teams that they represent, and I think we'll see very likely see success as a byproduct of that.
1: Yeah, I'm writing this movie in my head now. It's the fourth quarter of the Notre Dame football team, and the coach comes out and says, "Let's win one for the animals." Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. You no, know? I I, I think I think that would be uh, fantastic. And and while we're at it, let's 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 take some of those animals, live animals, out as mascots. Uh, we've got the you know the We've got the Buffalo oh. here in Colorado that they run out on the field and they keep them in the cage oh. and, you know, run them out on the field and, oh, and all really? that kind of stuff. And oh, that's see, so bad. I, you know, it'd be nice to see some of those uh, get, get replaced by just the costume mascots and not the, uh, the animals in captivity yes. um, who are out on display. For I think that's
1: a good idea. So what sports do you engage in these days? Robert? Well, I
2: just came from the gym and, um, I I took a little bit of time off the last month. I've actually been on the road for six weeks straight, so I was a little bit lighter and and uh, mm. had a less muscle when I saw you a couple of days ago than I've had in you know in recent years. But
1: uh, that's why I was thinking yeah, of yeah, that yeah, arm wrestle. You had a
2: golden opportunity. I'm the lightest that I've been in <laughs> five years. Um, yeah. So I've taken a little bit of time off. Uh, I've been working on new books and this kind of stuff and traveling like crazy to position myself to to land this new book deal, which I I just did.
1: Uh, and just signed oh, my book
2: contract uh, this morning, actually. So it was a, a year in the making, oh, a year cool. in the making, and it just happened. So, um, you know, I go to the gym these days uh, during summertime uh, or warmer weather. I, I really enjoy hiking, and I did a lot of that when I lived in Arizona. Not quite as much, ironically. i uh, now living in Colorado, which is the number one outdoor outdoor sports state in, in America. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, basketball right. is a favorite sport of mine. And I'll, I'll, I'll play that every now and then, even if just by myself shooting baskets. Uh, soccer is, a, is a, a favorite sport to participate in or play. And I, I keep telling myself, I'm going to join one of these adult leagues, you know, for people over 40 years old, and, you know, kind of reliving our our old child, uh, our old like high school glory days um, playing soccer, but I just haven't done it partly because I I travel quite a bit. And I just don't know that I can commit to being around for a whole season. Um, you know, but uh, so it's really it, you know, dog walks. Um, I don't know if you can hear them, but they've been very excited about the neighbor's dogs outside. I forgot <laughs> to close the curtain uh, before uh, doing this, but luckily they're, they're upstairs and I'm in the basement. So you probably can't hear them
0: we're not we're not hearing them
2: because they are very enthusiastic about the neighbor's dogs being outside uh so i do dog walks every day you know i don't miss that that's the good you know good quality time with the, the dogs and and it's it's really just the gym and then whatever recreational activities come up you know and i'm a fan i'm a fan of uh you know like the tour de france i love that i really i really got into it uh about a year ago so the last two years i've been following it to the point that i i want to go to france next year and, and be there and, and cheer in person and and hope that
1: now are they all cheating in the in these in these <laughs> bicycle races these oh sure days?
2: sure um yeah just like yeah. uh just like in mainstream bodybuilding, every single person is using anabolic steroids and stuff, and it's one of the reasons why I kind of moved away from bodybuilding. I mean, I, I always did natural bodybuilding in drug-tested federations, but when you talk about the the Super Bowl of bodybuilding, the Olympia, the Arnold, you know, these these really big events where these guys are three hundred and thirty pounds with three percent body fat and, and often don't make it past age forty five, and this is this is true. I've I've known a dozen. Uh, who have, who have passed away before age 50, people that I, I knew personally was in magazines with, uh, photos with people I used to communicate with, keep in touch with. Um, it's not a, it's not a sport for longevity. Um, you, you'll hear about famous bodybuilders dying every single year uh, in their forties, some, some even in their twenties, twenties or thirties. And so that's unfortunate. And it's, it's why I, I really promote the natural side of bodybuilding when I do promote bodybuilding. And unfortunately Cycling, I think, is kind of the same thing. Every single person on that level, the best in the, on the entire planet, are all doing some sort of, whether it's blood doping or something like. I mean, I don't know that to be.
1: And and they they do blood doping, and they can even cheat with their yeah, bikes. I don't, right.
2: I don't, don't want to say yeah. any absolutes, um, but I think it's just commonly known. Just like every single person who's a real fan of bodybuilding, who like, I mean, who actually knows bodybuilders, that knows their name, watches the competitions. Every single person, 100% of them, uh-huh. just know that they're all on steroids. That That's just – it's universally understood. Right. That's just how – that's what the sport is based on. And and I'm sure for cycling fans – and I'm kind of a brand-new fan and a casual fan. But for, for longtime cycling fans, they probably know that it's very similar where every single person is guilty of some sort of manipulation because every fraction of a second counts. And they're putting their
1: – Right. Right. Now, I I think in baseball, after scandals in, like, the 90s, baseball has cleaned up its act. Uh, uh, Could both of you comment on that? Is that true? Professional baseball has cleaned up its act in terms of it it has for the
0: most part it I don't know if it's completely free Um, there are some guys that have busted um, you know every once in a while like uh, Fernando Tatis this year and um, you know there there are others as well that they get caught with with the PEDs but I mean when you were talking about the 90s and it was really prevalent and you had guys hitting 60 plus home runs a year uh, that doesn't happen anymore I mean Aaron Judge just did it this year but he's also six eight and two hundred and nine Pounds and you know, I mean, he's he's a monster and he's got a short porch at, at Yankee Stadium. But most guys don't do that. I mean, if you could get forty home runs now in baseball, um, you know, you're you're basically a machine and and a superpower hitter. So so it it's cleaned up quite a bit um, as to where it was, especially in the nineties, where where those guys all looked like uh, Marvel superheroes coming up to, to to the plate. It was it was ridiculous. Those were those were definitely different times.
2: But but. It- yeah. Well, you if agree, I Robert? just add this comment, I think one of the things that we often forget as sports fans is that at the end of the day, it's all a business, right? And I remember um, the Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire era, it just what it did to rejuvenate right. baseball. It, uh, yeah, these guys were on steroids and, and they're you know guilty of that and all that kind of stuff. But, but it, it catapulted the sport that was kind of you know stagnant for a while. Just like bodybuilding wouldn't exist. Nobody would go to see natural bodybuilders because it's not a freak show. Like you want to go see something you've never seen before. Like like literal cartoon character images is what can be achieved through growth hormone, anabolic steroids, and all this kind of stuff. Unfortunately, it's not a healthy lifestyle and these people – should not be considered as, as role models because many young people try to follow in their footsteps, don't have the, the, the right genes or work ethic to do it and start taking all the drugs, thinking that all they have to do is steroids as well. And they're going to be famous and on magazine covers and attract certain things and money and fame and all that. And they go down the road of addiction to steroids and have a, uh, unfortunately a short life. But I, I think with all these things, the, the Tour de France wouldn't be what it is if, if people rode slow bikes um, if people, you know, during that period when baseball had this resurgence—Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa—all uh, of that, you know, baseball as a business, as a sport, or at least major league baseball as a as a business within the U.S. would have would have been hit pretty hard. And and so it's it's always hard to kind of it's, it's to to uh, to decide whether to support it or not support it because you know, it's a for-profit business, um, you know, team owners, uh, teams are worth billions of dollars in most professional sports. And some of these sports just wouldn't really exist without some of the, uh, enhancements and supplements, uh, that, that people use. So it's, it's hard to like, it's hard to, you, you know, to.
1: Well, in baseball, the, presumably in baseball, they're not doing it today. They're being tested all the time, aren't they?
2: Maybe, maybe so. I don't know. Uh, Rich, maybe you can comment.
0: Um, Yeah, they they are. uh, But I think what one of the things is, too, and cheaters have always been good at, you know, staying one step ahead of the testing. Um, and I, you know, they, they get a lot of help from it. It's not like they're, they're buying drugs from the guy at the gym. Um, you know, they're going to pros that know how to do this and mask it and to beat tests. Um, so if it's, if it is going on and I'm sure there's some of it that's still going on, um, it's going to be much harder to catch because they're always, like I said, they're, they're just one step ahead of the testing.
2: And there are even doctors, uh, you can watch documentaries, there's doctors, physicians, people who are experts in this kind of stuff. There, There's this great steroid documentary I saw a while back where this guy, uh, what is he? He's a chemist. He can make anything. He can make all kinds of uh, hard drugs and he can make uh, that you know people would sell on the street, but he can also make very, very powerful steroids. And in fact, he, he had an underground lab, like literally underground in a tunnel in Nevada in the desert where he would make all this stuff and then had to move his operation to Thailand. Uh, to not get busted because the the rules are different out there, and that's where most of the bodybuilding steroids come mm. from uh, is Thailand these days because the regulations are different. Right. Just, just like you can just right. go down across the border um, in Mexico and you can get um, things like steroids mm. and stuff. I was even there on a on a tour, <laughs> you know, at Mayan ruins, and there was a little shop that was like selling steroids and had a photo of a, a famous bodybuilder, and you could just get it at the little pharmacy and uh, you know right. a little far- where you get right. Gatorade. You know, <laughs> you can also pick up a side of a side of muscle-enhancing drugs. Um, so, well, so, so anyway, it's let me
1: let me ask a question on, on drugs, but I'll move it away from athletes to drugs themselves. Um, you know, we we know so many benefits to the plant-exclusive diet. You know, we know it's better for your health. We know it's better for the animals, of course. We know it's better for the environment. We know it's better for the climate. We know it's better for food security, that there will be more food if people eat plants instead of feeding the plants to the animals. But on the issue of drugs, I've always had a theory, and I don't know that this has been proved anywhere, but I don't know anyone on a low-fat, whole foods, plant-based diet plus heroin. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? If you're going to emphasize eating healthy, eating healthfully, and if if young people were to be put on this diet instead of eating processed foods, which which are, uh, you know, they they might not be drugs, but they have things like sugar and salt in them that are addictive. Um, but if people eat a low-fat, whole foods, plant-exclusive diet, and learn to cherish these foods that are nurturing to the human body, I think it will ma- make young people less likely to then experiment with things that screw up the human body. Your thoughts?
2: Yeah, yeah I think there's probably some, uh, some truth to that, uh, partly because uh, we develop uh, habits and behaviors, uh, including nutritionally, many of them bad. Um, including artificial flavors and colors and dyes, you know, red number forty, yellow number five, you know, blue number whatever, whatever those things are. Uh, we get addicted to those things. We get addicted to sugar, oil, and salt. We get addicted to deep fried food. Uh, these addictions can lead to other things. We get addicted to caffeine. Uh, I was addicted to caffeine um, significantly for ten years, and then I I've been caffeine free since 2018. It was very difficult for me to break that. In fact, I've I've heard from doctors, uh, PhD experts who who have said that. you you know kicking caffeine is 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 one of the very difficult things to do um is because it's just a it's a drug that everyone's using like everybody's using it um and it it impacts people differently in, in lots of different ways but one thing can lead to another as we all know and so i think when you start eating um start eating nutrient poor foods um where do you get those foods you often get them at um, convenience stores, at fast food restaurants, on kind of, you know, I don't want to say sketchy parts of town or anything, because they're on, on every street corner. But you're, you're, I think, even hanging around yeah. those types of communities. Um, you know, I, I, I even had this kind of anecdotal, uh, just thing to add. But I had a friend who's a, I do have a friend. His birthday was yesterday. Uh, who was manager at three different Seven Eleven locations in my hometown. He had to call the police every single night, every single night, because he was getting robbed. He was there were things happening to him all the time, and you know, hanging out with with this low quality food um, that that you know riddled with sugar and caffeine, and and you know you know the, the hot dogs on the thing in the in the Seven Eleven and hmm. chips, which is just one of the most nutrient poor foods you can possibly eat, and soda, which is. The, basically, the only thing worse than chips, yeah, I think you're likely to then go find other other things that are that are cheap and bad for you. Um, maybe alcohol, maybe cigarettes, maybe other drugs. Uh, you know, and, and then you start to care about your body less, right? If you're ingesting all of these things, and right. you have, let's face it, let's just be honest. We have 736 percent of Americans are overweight right now today. Forty-two point five percent are obese. That's not to body shame anyone. That's to sound the alarm that hey, we got one in two people now are going to have diabetes. One in two are going to get cancer. You know, um, one in two or one in three are going to get heart disease. Like you're, you're you're just bound to to have one of these major issues now at some point in your life because of this, this these concentrated, uh, refined low low grade low quality calories that are, oftentimes government subsidized and 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 you know available so cheaply on every on every street corner it's 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 no uh, it's no surprise that if we don't take care of our of our body and we then we start feeling maybe obese or lethargic or you know just we feel in poor health well why not add alcohol and other drugs to make us feel better if we're feeling so poor and so i think there is probably some truth yeah. to that but i'm certainly not an expert in anything to do with drugs i've actually been lifetime drug and alcohol free myself so i'm i'm Quite a less familiar <laughs> with such items but
1: not a not a glass of no, wine never not a glass beer of
2: Wine, never beer uh for my own my own my own oh, personal really? reasons that i decided as a teenager um a request my my mother made uh of me um you know uh i think it was it was a i know so it was some sort of factor in my parents getting separated and being divorced when I was a, a young kid. And it was something my mother asked me if uh-huh. I would not engage in. And I honored that as a 16 year old. And I, I'd never, you know, experimented with anything before that. And I've honored that now to almost age 43. And it's just, I have my own reasons for, for, you know, keeping going a uh, lifetime drug and alcohol free. And I, sure I'm probably missing out on something, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sure. I, I, well,
1: I, you've got integrity. I, I hear it
2: helps you relax or have more fun at certain events <laughs> or whatever, I, concerts or. But um, I've been, I've been fine, and I've enjoyed uh, <laughs> my life immensely uh, without the drugs and alcohol. And I think. Uh, a, a healthy whole food uh-huh. plant based diet can can really help support healthy living, and, you, and I think it even leads to you wanting to exercise more. Like, man, I've got all this energy. I feel good. I'm trim. I fit. I'm fit. Let's put it to use. Let's go burn those muscles. Let's go for walks and hikes and bike rides and let's go swimming. Let's go to the gym, and I think it has a ripple effect to lead to positive.
1: Right. It's, it's 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 this quest to get in a positive. Virtuous cycle rather than in a negative cycle. So, if you get sleep and you eat well, then it leads to more exercise and then it leads to better sleep. And is, isn't that true that there's this virtuous cycle, or you can get in a downward spiral? Yeah, and you can
2: even feel it acutely. Uh, like, that- you know, I, I you know, it's just circumstantial. I showed up on no sleep in Indiana. And that obviously affected me. I, I took a red eye flight and make sure I got there on time because I was out in Oregon. And and then I had a nine hour delay in, in Chicago and I just didn't sleep for a day and a half. And that, that threw me off for days, you know, that, that, that just acute circumstance, that situation, when you don't get sleep, it's you're uh, you're effectively drunk as you're, you basically have the, your, your, your body right. capacity is, is being, um, intoxicated. Like you, you make poor decisions and, and that,
1: that's where I saw the opportunity <laughs> for the arm wrestle. <laughs> the, the,
2: the, the lifetime alcohol You look tired
1: and I thought I could take you. <laughs>
2: yeah. 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 So, uh, so yeah, that that's why, you know, you really got to prioritize those things like, like sleep and, and good food and hydration and, and, uh, exercise. And, and yeah. that's why I, I, I knocked out all of that today before um, before this evening's uh, conversation. I've already been to the gym. I already did the dog walks. I already had lots of hydration. Um, you know, I, I slept in to, uh-huh. to get the adequate rest that I needed after changing three time zones. And, you know, here we are.
1: Right. Um, and how many hours of sleep do you get per night? How What do you recommend? Yeah, I
2: mean, eight to nine, I think. I think sometimes we live in this... Uh, this hustle culture that, you know, uh, this these cliche statements, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead or I don't, I can get by on four or five hours of sleep or look how hardcore I am. There, I don't think there's anything to brag about uh, by getting low amounts of sleep. In fact, I think all the research, all the studies show that no matter what ails you, no matter what problem it is, everything seems to get better uh, to some degree uh, the more sleep you get. Like your condition is not going to get worse. You're You're going to either stay the same or improve. Um, whether that's your focus, your mood, your, um, your energy, your vitality, or, you know, whatever it is, it it gets better when you sleep more. So I I have no, I'm not ashamed to admit that, yeah, I sleep in quite a bit. Um, You know, I get up like at at 930. You know, I I keep pretty late nights, you know, go to bed after midnight, Mm -hmm. but I don't get up till like 930. I'm I'm a writer like you, Glenn. I work from home. I set my own schedule and I Mm-hmm. And I still have very productive days. Um, and I, as much as anybody else, if not more, because of some of that focus. And And then I just make sure the rest is there. I'm, I'm exercising, you know, I'm breaking down muscle tissue. Um, sleep becomes even more important. You know, I'm like you, I'm I'm having to create. I'm not just like, I'm not just going to the motions, doing some sort of task. And there's nothing wrong with that. But my my work is creative. I have to invent stuff, basically. I have to create paragraphs, pages, chapters. I've got to pull it out of the sky. I've got to come up with it. And it, and I need I need a fresh mind in order to do that. A well rested mind um, in order to be creative and, and write books that will go on to impact people on a large scale and, and make some changes around the world.
1: All right. Last question. What does a day of eating look like for look, Robert Cheek? What do you have for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks? Yeah, what's a typical day? Yeah,
2: I don't know if you want my idealistic answer or my my practical, <laughs> um, more realistic answer. Um, because they, they it
1: let's go with practical and realistic. Yeah, so, let's so be real. It, it
2: varies, you know. Like uh, I'd love to say, uh, and I would, I'd love to say that every morning is oatmeal with walnuts and berries, but it's not. It's it's just not. It was at one time, but it's not. So um, today, I mean, I had some fruit, I, uh, I had some orange juice, I had these little vegan muffins, which again, I don't normally have them, but I, I bought them yesterday. I thought, why not? So I had some little vegan muffins. Um, I had, uh, uh, what did I, I had a, um, was that today or yesterday? <laughs> some sort of <laughs> pasta, <is> a pasta <laughs> dish for lunch. Oh No, I had roasted potatoes, rosemary potatoes yesterday. Um, that's, what, oh, yeah, I had a bunch good. of, uh, rosemary roasted potatoes. I'm trying, I'm getting yesterday and today mixed up. Uh, but, uh, but in general, you know, it tends to be fruit in the morning. I eat pretty light in the morning. I like things like, uh, fruit, uh, fruit juice, coconut water, those types of things. I'm, I'm just really big on that. Um, lunchtime. I really like things like burrito bowls, uh, I make my own, you know, at home, I have rice and uh, beans and avocado, lettuce, tomato, that kind of stuff. Uh, I've got some burritos in the, in the fridge right now. My wife made me a vegan lasagna, um, that I had as soon as I got back from, from Indiana. I still have quite a bit left to consume there. Um, and so I, I have like those types of things, you know, it could be, a, a lentil soup, potato dish, um, pasta dish for lunch, that kind of stuff. So a combination of whole foods and some processed foods. If I'm, if I'm being honest, let's, you know, keep it okay. real. That's what I really, that's what I really do um, sandwiches, wraps, pasta, whatever. And then snacks for, uh, 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 fruit for snacks. Like I'm a really big fruit consumer. I just, I just think it's the best food aside from uh-huh. leafy greens. We know we're slightly more nutrient dense, but they're just not as fun. You know, they're just not as fun <laughs> as eating oranges and mango and blueberries and strawberries and raspberries and watermelon that just tastes so much better. <laughs> so I bought peaches today. I got peaches today. I got blueberries today, bananas today, oranges, all of that. So those are those are kind of things I have for snacks, which also act as pre-workout foods. So I I, I tend to work out around this time but because we drink, we're doing this interview I worked out earlier. So I'll have like bananas before a workout, blueberries before a workout, natural sugar, you know, from the fruit for energy. And then when I get home, that's my biggest meal of the day. Why? Because it's post-workout and it's dinner at the same time. And that varies – tremendously. I love international cuisine. I'll have Thai food, Indian food, Mexican food, Japanese food. That reminds me, that's what I had today for lunch. I had a bunch of plant-based sushi. <laughs> that's what it was today. I got, it was, All it was $5 Wednesday, $5 Wednesday at, at, at Sprouts. And so I got, uh, I got a whole bunch of, uh, three containers of, of sushi. So, um, so yeah, that was today. And tonight, um, probably, probably go back to that lasagna because I don't want, you know, my wife gets back in a couple of days uh-huh. and if, it, if it's, you know, if I didn't eat it, uh, you know, she'll, she'll think I didn't appreciate it. And it is very, very yeah. good. I just, <laughs> you know, well, that's yeah, it, what it, I it hear. is very, very good. Yeah. I just uh, got a bunch of other groceries once I got back home, but you know, that, that's, you know, that's kind of it, Glenn. And I eat about um, 3000 calories a day, you know, I weigh typical, you know, around 200 pounds, I'm six feet tall uh, 42 years old. And I do document my calorie intake from time to time, uh, just to know what I'm really doing, what I'm really eating. And it's about 3000 a day and I burn about 3000 a day. So I, I pretty much maintain weight at right around 195, 200 pounds right. these days uh, on a 3000 calorie diet that is expended through my, my dog walks, my you know walking around at home, uh, going to the gym, running errands, uh, that kind of thing. So, so that's kind of a, a day in the life, um, of, of, of eating. It's, it's filled with fruit and snacks and, and some of those bigger meals. Like I had the potatoes for breakfast, the sushi for lunch, the, uh, lasagna, uh, uh, for dinner. I, but I, I, I indulge in all kinds of things, you know, vegan pizzas and, uh, pretty much anything you can imagine, any type of international cuisine, curry dishes, pad thais, mm-hmm. um, you know, Buddha bowls, uh, as I mentioned, sushi or Ethiopian food, which I love um all of that stuff that that makes its way into my my diet with you know plenty of whole foods there as far as like salads and salad greens and fruits and all of that. and I kind of I kind of like it that way. I like it where there's variety, you know, where I can still have you know, plant-based burgers and pizzas and sandwiches and wraps and all of that kind of stuff because the rest of everything that I eat is like, is fruits and vegetables. So I'm not eating like, you know, cookies and cakes and all this stuff all day long and soda and all that. And so the rest of my calories are, are all really, really good.
1: Well, there you have it, folks. You could eat really delicious food and a variety of food and become a plant-based athlete. And you heard that from the author of the plant-based athlete Robert Cheek, congratulations on the new book deal. Anything you want to tell us about well, the, new the new book? book is,
2: yeah, the new book is yeah. The new book is going back to my roots. This is my very first animal rights okay. book. So I'm writing a book about oh. um, about effective veganism. You know, um, I got I got really into okay. um, effective altruism recently um, through Peter Singer and Will McCaskill and others, and I've been really looking at identifying the actions that we can take every day that do the most good not not that just make us feel good about what we're doing Mm -hmm. or that move the needle a little bit or that are moderately effective but like Mm -hmm. what can we do that's the most effective to reduce animal suffering and so i'm looking at evidence and data and research and uh, and and systems and using principles of effective altruism and you know, in some cases, utilitarianism. And it's, it's, a, it's a book, Glenn, that I hope that when it comes out, it will show people how to be so much more effective in their everyday decisions. It'll talk about which for-profit companies to support, which nonprofit companies to support, whether it's better to volunteer your time or to donate, um, how much to donate, and whether it's mm-hmm. more important to do altruistic work yourself or to do even a job you may not like but it, but, but earn more income so that you can actually give more. This whole earning to give mm-hmm. principle, uh, which is incredibly effective, and, and so many wealthy donors do that, uh, and are able to support animals in effective ways, and and lowering the cost of, of saving individual lives, where you can, through certain approaches, uh, save individual lives for as little as a dollar, uh, through the type of effective work that some organizations are able to do, versus. You know, many, many dollars, or hundreds of dollars, or thousands of dollars to save one life. There's some approaches that are just far more effective than others, and so I'm writing it with countless examples, uh, lots of interviews and stories um, with effective vegan activists, and then my own experiences over the past quarter century uh, doing it, what I believe is 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 quite effective vegan advocacy, um, including the work that I, did, I do with the nonprofit group Vegan Strong. Uh, which gets plant-based foods into the hands of uh, non-vegan athletes by the tens of thousands, uh, you know, uh, every month. Uh, So, uh, so I'm, I'm really excited. And, uh, and I've already written three or 400 pages because it took me a whole year.
1: You've Um, already written three or 400 (laughs) pages. I
2: I, I struggled to, to, I I struggled. uh,
1: In how much time? 600
2: pages in six months. So, um, I was writing about 100, 150.
1: Uh, now, no, no, wait a minute, Robert. I'm a writer. That's too many pages. You're, you're giving me a hernia no, 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 just I, I really thinking do. about it. I
2: have a, a, a yeah. system, Glenn. I learned from a, um, a university president uh, over a decade ago who said, Robert, uh, this is before I published anything, and I was trying to be a writer, and he said, yeah. Robert, I, I want you to write two pages yeah. every day. I don't care if it's good. I don't care if it's bad. You write two pages every single day, and soon you've written a book. And I took that to heart and I wrote not just two pages. Some days I wrote 20, some days 30, other days 12, 15. And so, yeah, I, I write hundreds of pages pretty quickly and, uh, and oftentimes high quality writing as well. I even write, you know, at, at the gym, I was writing today in between sets. I write in the evenings. I write yeah. when I have ideas come to me. And so anyway, I, I struggled to get a book deal at first. I got rejected Three or four times yeah. over the last eleven months, and so I said, "Fine, I'm just going to write the book." And so I wrote about three or four hundred pages yeah. um, for this particular book, um, and uh, and sure enough, just signed a book deal this morning. So, uh, you see well, congratulations
1: again. Your 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 uh, work ethic reminded me of a story when I first came to Hollywood in the late '80s. There was a woman I don't remember her name, but she was like a screenwriting yeah. guru, and she she had a course that she taught how to write a screenplay in a week. And screenwriters would would die to be able to write a screenplay in a week. I mean, even if you you could write 52 of them a year, and even (laughs) if you can sell a quarter of them, you'd make a fortune, right? So, So all these screenwriters came to the Writers Guild for her seminar on how to write a screenplay in a week. And I went there too because the woman was clearly a genius and she had a blackboard there and she said okay day 1 write pages 1 through 15 day 2 <laughs> pages 16 through 27 and that was the genius oh, yeah. she that's that at the end write the end you know fade I, out i
2: think i think that's really it glenn and i i i've given that advice to writers uh, or aspiring writers all the time that, um, so I didn't miss a single day of writing for months and months and months. Um, I had to write a minimum of two uh-huh. pages, even if I didn't start till midnight, I couldn't go to bed until I finished it. And I, that, uh, that created a pattern of where I wrote hundreds of pages in a short amount of time. And my, my record, I wrote, um, I wrote an ebook start to finish 232 pages in six days. Um, including, uh, wow. including two wow. rounds of editing. I believe. Wow. Yeah.
1: Well, as a writer, Robert, you have—you're a better man than I am. You're a more disciplined writer than I am. On the other hand, I may be the better arm wrestler, so all these things balance out. Uh, but it's been a pleasure talking yeah, you. with you. The new book will come out when, Robert, oh, in a year?
2: Yeah, who knows? A year, eighteen months. Um, I still have till March to finish the okay. actual manuscript because I—my 300 pages is pretty rough. I gotta—I gotta go through it and clean it up. So. And I, and I still have lots of here.
1: In the meantime, you can get Shredded, which I highly Thank recommend. You. And you could get the Plant-Based Athlete. And you, uh, Robert's got the web, website uh, veganbodybuilding.com. Yeah, sure Is do. that right? Yeah. And uh, where else can people find you, Robert? You know, you, Robert?
2: on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Robert Cheek, you know, um, just, like, just like your face but with an E on the end. So uh, I'm fairly active on those. I plan to scale it back as I get back into writing. Uh, this this new book, but I'm 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 there. I'm still posting regularly. That's where I I connect with people. So you can find me on social media. Just look for Robert Cheek.
1: Okay, it's been great talking with you, Rich. Yeah, you absolutely. And up? by the
0: way, Glenn, if you are going to get back into screenwriting and you have that pitch for that movie where the plant based team goes from worst to first. Uh-huh do make sure that David Hasselhoff is in that movie. Uh, You were supposed to have a pitch for him, Glenn, and uh, it didn't turn out well the last time. So make sure that the Hoff uh, definitely gets some love from you. So, uh, Robert, great job. Uh, I absolutely loved listening to you. Again, uh, find him everywhere. Find us at realmeneplants.com. Hit that support button. Take the 30-day challenge. Read the blogs. Find our YouTube channel then as well and all over social media. Gentlemen. Uh, it's, it's been a pleasure, an enlightened Glenn Mercer show, and we will see you next time right here on the Glenn Mercer show. Bye-bye.